0: Starting a brand new chapter in the Word of God, I'm excited about that, and hope and pray that you are as well. If you've not begun praying for this service, we're asking that you do that, even as we speak. You just can't. We can always, as God's people, um, come boldly to His throne of grace, and I'm asking you to do that tonight. Pray for me. I desire your prayers. Pray for these services. Pray that the truth of the Word of God would would go out, because we know as His truth goes out, it don't come back void. And uh, so thankful for that. So 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, I'm going to be sharing with you tonight probably the most unpopular topic in all the Word of God. I mean, I can't think of really anything else more unpopular than what we find here, written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the hand of the Apostle Paul. Um, And I want to say this, first and foremost, I'm not preaching this. Um, or teaching this, a lot of people say, "Rosa, what do you do on Wednesday nights? Do you preach or teach? Well, I don't really know how you can preach without teach or really how you can teach without preaching. So I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to share with you um, what God's Word has, um, has spoke to my heart and, and as the Holy Spirit leads, uh, what He wants me to share. And so that's what I'm going to do this evening, as always. But um, I'm not preaching or teaching this to you to offend you, Okay. That's never my, my purpose. I never want to offend you even though the word of God is certainly offensive sometimes to us all. I mean, know there's many. I'm not even going to say many. Every time I pick up God's word to prepare a message for you, it hits me first and becomes offensive to me if I'm not keeping it. It becomes convicting to me if I'm not doing what it says. So God's word sometimes come becomes offensive to everyone but that's not my intent in preaching it that's not, that's not what i'm trying to do I'm not trying to offend you tonight i'm not preaching this even because i want to and i'll tell you why because there's a whole lot of easier passages i had rather preach no doubt about it there's a lot of um, other texts that we would we could go to tonight and And um, it'd be a whole lot happier of a service, probably. But so it's not even because I want to. I'd really rather be preaching something else. I'm sharing this with you tonight, first and foremost, because it's needful. And also because it, just like all the easy parts, is truth too. (laughs) Amen? How do you know all of God's Word is truth? The easy and the hard. And so we need to understand that even though there are certain things that we see in the Word of God that, that may really get next to us, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because this is our standard. And it shows us where we need to be, where we can be. It tells us who we are, who God is, how much He loves us, and how, much we, can, and how we can know Him, how we can be in that right relationship and fellowship with Him. So it's a good thing when God's Word gets to us. It really is. So I'm preaching this tonight because it's truth and it's needful. And I'm preaching this tonight because God has called me as your pastor to preach to you the whole counsel of the word of God. That's what my purpose is. That's what my calling is. And if I'm going to please him, I've got to do that. And that's what i want to do more than anything else It's please him and what he's called me to do. And tonight I'm going to be sharing with you um, the topic of church discipline. All right. And what that looks like according to the word of God. What that means for each and every one of us. And so what I want to do is just read all 13 verses there in chapter 5. And then we'll come back and um, get as far as we can in this. First uh, Corinthians chapter 5 starting with verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged, as though I were present. Him who has done this deed, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexual immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. You see the, the difference in that. He says, I'm not saying that you can't in, uh, in some way connect with lost people who are living in sin, that's not what he means. Folks, if we don't connect with lost people who are living in sin, how in the world are we going to love like Jesus loved? If we don't connect with lost people who are living in sin, how are we going to preach the gospel? How are we going to reach a world who needs the gospel if we don't reach out to those who are living in sin just like we used to be in? It's important that we do connect with lost people. But he's making it clear, even though we connect with lost people, that we are not to be corrupted by their lifestyle. Amen? That's important. Now, let's go on. He says, I'm not talking about not having fellowship with with the world, with the lost. I'm talking about somebody who's calling themselves a brother in Christ. He said, we ain't going to have no fellowship with him who's living in this pattern of sin. He goes on to say, watch. Watch. Um, but now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idol or a violer or a drunkard or an extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person for what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside but those who are the outside God judges? Therefore put away from yourselves the evil person. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you've done. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the truth of your word. Lord, we need you tonight. I can do nothing without you. Holy Spirit, I need you to speak to me and speak through me. Use me, Lord, for your honor and for your glory among these people. Thank you for the great opportunity that you've given me to stand before an open Bible and share your truth. Your word is truth, and we need it. And we're asking that you give it to us tonight, Holy Spirit, by your power. Lord, we're thankful for grace because we all need it. We're thankful for mercy. We're thankful, Lord, tonight that forgiveness is offered because you love us. I'm thankful that you are a God of love. You are love. And I'm thankful for that tonight. God, may we show your love to others. May we stand on truth. Extend grace. And do what's necessary according to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was raised in a great home, in a loving home. As a matter of fact, I am very thankful for the home that God allowed me to grow up in. I grew up with a a mother and a father who led me to Jesus. Not just in what they said, but in what they did. Not that they were perfect. There are no perfect parents. Do you know that? So if you're not a perfect parent, join the crowd. None of us are. We all fail in doing what we know we need to do. All of us do. But I had great parents, and I had parents who loved me, and I had parents who taught me what was right and what was wrong. Now, by some people's standards, they may have said that we were poor, but if we were, I didn't know it. I always had everything I needed and most of what I wanted. And that's all because of the grace of God and two hard-working parents who love their children. And would do anything for us. Now, they couldn't give me everything that everybody else had. I didn't have designer clothes. Um, you know, I didn't have new cars. I didn't have any of that stuff. But I've come to find out that's not the important things anyway. I, they did. They couldn't give me all those things. That's all right. But they did give me the best things, the most important things. And one of the best gifts that they ever gave me as their son was discipline. It really was. That was listen very needful for me. I, I mean, when you grow up in a house with two brothers. I had, a, I had one brother that, my little brother, he was two years younger than me. And then my little brother, he's about four and a half, five years younger than me. And so um, when you grow up with three boys like stair steps, like doorsteps, um, discipline is necessary in a household. Because if you don't have it, then I'm going to tell you, um, pretty soon the inmates will be running the asylum. And so you've got to have some discipline. It was necessary in our house. Now, having said that, it wasn't popular for me or my brothers. It really wasn't. If you're on the receiving end of it, then it can be very unpopular for you. I can remember my dad telling me before he would discipline me, son, you don't realize this is hurting me a whole lot more than it's hurting you. And I'm thinking the whole time, Daddy, if that's true, you ain't gonna make it through this. Because it was, it was tearing me up, you know, so I knew If it was hurting him any worse, I I just didn't, didn't understand that then. I didn't understand why he was doing what he was doing. But as I've gotten older, I praise Jesus for that discipline. And I can tell you this, I needed it a whole lot more than I got it. I really did. Let me tell you why I say I praise Jesus for that discipline in in my life, in my home, as I grew up. My parents were teaching me to respect them. Amen? How many know kids ought to respect their parents? And they were teaching me that. Listen, when I disrespected them through disobedience, when I didn't do what they told me to do, or I did what they told me not to do, then they used the rod of correction, like the Book of Proverbs speaks of so many times to get me back on the right path. They use discipline. And in doing so, that showed me how to respect them. Are you getting me? Now, when I learned respect from mom and daddy, the main uh, authority figures in my life, that translated to every other area. I learned to respect mom and dad. And so guess what? That translated to Church. When I came to church, I knew I was supposed to respect the pastor. I knew I was supposed to respect my Sunday school teachers. I knew I was supposed to respect elders that were in my local body. Can you say amen? And and so that translated to church, but not only to church, but to school. When I got to school, I knew I was supposed to respect my teachers. They were the authority figure. And, and, And it just all made sense that they started that young in life teaching me to respect them, my mom and my daddy, and it translated to other areas. I I was never really afraid of what my teacher might do to me. That had nothing to do with me acting right in school. I knew if I didn't respect them, when I got home, I was going to deal with my dad. And so knowing that, they didn't have to worry about me acting a fool. Now, but all of that, all, now sometimes I did, don't, don't let me, just, and, I, and I suffered the consequences, okay? But I'm just saying, it taught me respect for other authority figures in my life, for, for pastors and Sunday school teachers, for teachers in the classroom, at my local school, for football coaches, you know, I learned, I, I respected them. Because I was taught that early on, my mom and daddy. And all these other figures, authority figures, hey, I need to respect them. Later on, it worked for law enforcement. I knew that, hey, I'm supposed to respect them. They're the authority figure. But all of that started early on with the discipline that my mom and dad gave me. Now, I didn't, like I said before, I didn't always do what I was supposed to do with teachers or football coaches or um, even law enforcement, you know, public officials. I didn't. But I shudder to think at where I would have been if it had not been for the discipline I received from Mom and Daddy. Amen? So praise Jesus for discipline in my life. I needed it. You know what I've come to find out? My kids need it. I, let, let me give you, for instance, my little girl, Ellie Grace. Just you know, I've, never, I, I've never really had any trouble whatsoever with her uh, being disrespectful, being really disobedient. Anything I said, hey, she pretty much would do. She would, hey, if I popped my finger, she would listen. She would do it. I, I've never really had a, a, a big trouble. Now, she's not perfect. It's like none of them are perfect. But I'm just saying, in general, I never really had a big discipline problem with her. I didn't have to discipline her much. Well, just a few weeks ago, um, her mama called me. And, and she said, uh, Ellie Grace didn't do her math homework last night. And I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, well, I just talked to her about that. A few nights ago, told her that she needed to be doing her homework because Brandy had already mentioned that she didn't want to do her homework. So I sat her down. I said, honey, you got to do this homework. Okay, daddy, I'll do it. But she didn't do it. And then when her mother questioned her about it in school, she got sassy with her and told her she wasn't going to do it. Now, even though she's generally been a good kid, all of mine have generally been good kids, sometimes they do act like their mama. Uh, y'all know I'm just kidding. I am just kidding them. I, I wish they act like would act like their mama more. I'll tell you that. That's a sweet loving woman. I'm so thankful for her. I was just picking at her and, and and kid with you. but but I'm saying she told me that, and I'd made up my mind before I got home, we fix and put her in the homework business. And that's what we did. When I got to the house, I used that rod of correction. And guess what? She got some homework done. And guess what else she did? She apologized to her mama. And she apologized to me. And you know what? When all of it was said and done, I grabbed that baby girl and hugged her up and told her how much I love her and why I needed to do what I did. And she said, I love you too, Daddy. And it has not hurt our relationship. We laid on the couch that night and watched TV together. Don't believe some of the stuff that you're hearing that that somehow harms your children. If it's done right, it doesn't. Please don't misunderstand me. There is a big difference. There is a big difference in abuse and discipline, correction. So I'm just saying I needed it. My kids need it. I'm going to tell you something else. Your kids need it. Your kids need it. Give it to them. If you don't give it to them now, you're going to regret it later. If they don't respect you, mom and daddy, they're not going to respect anybody. That's going to translate just like I told you. That, tra- that discipline that I was shown at home that taught me to respect mom and daddy, that put me back on the right path, that translated into every other area of my life. Not perfectly, but it did translate Look, the, the, the opposite is also true. If you don't teach them to respect you through discipline, that's also going to translate in every other area of their life. So start them off right. And I can tell you, it's a whole lot easier to discipline when they're this big than when they're this big. Now, you can still do it when they're this big, but you're probably going to, have to call your brother or somebody else. You see what I'm saying? Do it here. It's a whole lot easier. They get the picture a whole lot better. I'm telling you. Now, I needed it. My kids need it. Your kids need it. You know what? God says, my kids need it. And he outlines for us right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 through the writing of the Apostle Paul how that's supposed to take place and why it's supposed to take place. All right, so let's look at it. First of all, I want you to see something that um, that, that is certainly true. We've talked about it over and over again. The church at Corinth was not only a divided church, but it was also a disgraced church. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we've already seen in the first four chapters Paul is continually telling them that it's not about you being on my side or Apollos' side or on some other preacher's side. We're all on the side of Jesus. Can you say amen? And we don't need to put preachers on a pedestal and we don't need to tear other preachers down. We just need to let God be God, pay attention to what God's word says, apply it to our life and pray for one another. And so this church was divided because they were had their certain preachers that they tra- were trying to hold up on a pedestal and others that they were trying to tear down. We've seen that. But it was also disgraced because of the sin that they were allowing in their fellowship. All right. And, and he, he talks about a big one right here in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the first two verses. So, so let's um, before I get into that though, let me give you something that I absolutely love. Um, I found this week from, uh, from Dr. Warren Wiersbe. Listen to what he says. Church discipline is not about a bunch of pious policemen out to catch a criminal, but it is about a bunch of broken hearted brothers and sisters out to restore a fallen brother or sister in Christ. That's good. That's good. When I'm talking about church discipline and when Paul is talking about church discipline, it's not us, as like he calls them, Pious policemen going around just trying to find fault in everybody so we can, we can bring them before the church. That's not what he's saying here, all right? And we'll talk more about that as we go further. What he is saying is that this sin must be dealt with because if it's not dealt with, it's going to ruin the testimony of the church. Now, why is that important? Because the testimony of the church is the testimony of the Lord Jesus. We claim the name of Christ. Can you say amen? And so we got to be very careful about what we choose to do or choose not to do. It's true for all of us. As individuals, as certainly collectively as a body. And, And when certain sin arises, it does have to be dealt with. And that's what he's telling us right here. And if it's not dealt with, it can cause trouble now, trouble later, trouble for everybody, and especially Trouble for the cause of Christ. And that's what we don't want. So he gives us three things here that I want you to see tonight. First of all, he tells us that we ought to have the right attitude towards sin. All right. So let's look at this particular sin that's being dealt with before we go any further. Now, he says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentile that a man has his father's wife. Now, really what was taking place... There was a man in the church who was having a sexual affair and living with his stepmother. All right. Now it, it, we don't know if this man, um, uh, this, this uh, uh, man's stepmother was still married to the man's father, or they were separated, or divorced, or if the father was dead. We don't know all of that. But what we do know, what we do know, is that they were in an open affair, sexual affair with one another that everybody knew about. And Paul says, look even the Gentiles, the pagans, they know this is wrong. They wouldn't allow this. But we claim the name of Jesus and the church is doing nothing about it. And so that's what was going on um, here in Corinth. And he says something. He says, what you need to do is mourn. Look at verse number two. He says. And you are puffed up. And have not rather mourned. Now that word mourn there. Is the strongest word. That can be used in the Greek language. To describe the mourning of someone. It's talking about. The wailing of someone. After having lost. One of their family members. Has you ever heard that? I don't know if you've ever heard that. But I've experienced that. When someone is wailing. When someone is wailing. Because the pain has cut them so deep and they've lost someone so near and dear to their heart. That's a bad experience. You can it, the, the electricity, I would say, of the of the broken heart just fills the room. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's the word that Paul is using here. He says, we need to mourn over this, but rather than you being brokenhearted and mourning over it, you're puffed up about it. What does it mean to be puffed up? It means to be prideful. They weren't sorry for what was going on. They were talking about how inclusive they were that they were letting this man in the church as a member in good standing. They were talking about how that, you know what? What we need to do is let's let people be people and exercise. I'm not going to go that far. They were not mourning. They were prideful. Paul says the right attitude toward this sin is not to be prideful about it and justify it and sweep it under the rug. The right attitude is to mourn over it. And that has to be our attitude in our church. And again remember, this is open sin that everybody knows about and nobody's wanting to deal with. You get me? You need to understand that this man that's being spoken of here evidently even though he has been confronted, has done no repenting. This man has chosen to live the life that he's living, even though he knows it's wrong, as a believer in front of everybody else. And Paul says, you've got to have the right attitude toward this. You should be mourning, but rather you're puffed up. Now, not only should we have the right attitude towards sin in our church, but folks, we've also... Got to have the right adjudication about sin. Now, what do I mean by that? We've got to judge rightly what's happening, what's not happening, what's right, and what's wrong. You said, oh, no, wait a minute, brothers. You just told us a few weeks ago that we can't judge others, that we're to judge not lest we be judged. Now, if you remember, I told you in that that none of us can judge whether or not a person is saved. Do you know that? We can't. I can't judge whether or not you're saved. You can't judge whether or not I'm saved. Like I told you last time we talked about this, there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that you didn't think was going to make it, and there ain't going to be a lot of people in heaven that you thought was going to be there because we don't know what decision people have really made concerning Jesus. We don't. I don't have the power to read men's hearts, neither do you. So we can't judge their salvation, and we cannot judge their motives. We cannot judge why they do what they do. However, we have to be able to call right, right, and wrong, wrong. If we don't do that, then folks, it's going to be complete anarchy. It'll be to the point where people will just do whatever they want, live how they want to live, and, 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 and uh, then it will completely tear down what the Lord is wanting to do and has done in our life. Amen? Now, you said, brother, well, how do we judge rightly? We judge according to the standard of God's Word. Amen. It's, it's not what I think. It's not my opinion. It's not what pleases me or don't please me. It's not how I feel about a certain subject. It's not my truth and your truth. It's the truth of the Word of God. That's what we judge by. See, what Paul is saying is, we can look to the Word of God and see plainly what this man is doing is wrong. Now, as a brother, that ought to break our heart. As him being a part of the family, that will break our heart. But instead of us being heartbroken and mourning, you're puffed up and prideful about it. So he says we've got to judge rightly what's being done and not being done. Look at verses 3 through 5. We'll just read that together, then I'll give you another scripture. For indeed, for I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I were present. Him who has so done this deed, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan. That's a very, um, extremely strong statement. Let's go from there. Keep your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's see what Jesus says about this whole thing in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, and we'll start there in verse number 15. Matthew chapter number 18, verse number 15. Look how Jesus puts this to his disciples. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I am assuming, I'm assuming that certain um, church members here at Corinth, had already went to this, not not all of them, because we know it was openly known, and a lot of people were prideful about it. But I'm assuming there were some that went to this man in Corinth and told him his wrong, told him his sin, you know, and and pleaded with him to repent and get right with God. But that, that wasn't happening, all right? Now look what Jesus says. If your brother sins, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Let's go on. But if he will not hear, take with you two or more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So get what he's saying. If you see a brother in, in uh, sin that, that is concerning you, um, then first of all, go one-on-one with him. Say, look, man, I, I, we need, to, I need to talk to you about something. We need, to, we need to see what God's word says about this. We need to act accordingly. How can I help you? Let, let, let's get through this thing. Amen. Because again, we're not pious policemen trying to find a criminal. We are concerned brothers and sisters in Christ that want to go and and restore that one. Are you getting me? And so that's what Jesus is saying here. He said, take two or three more so that everything that is said can be heard and established. And he says then, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. That comes from the Lord. So, really, what Paul is giving us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is just commentary on what Jesus said in Matthew uh, chapter number 18. Am I right? Jesus said the same thing. You know, if, if this man won't do what's right, then there's got to be some discipline exercised according to what God's word is teaching. And so he says where to do something. He says, first of all, deal with it publicly. Whew. You mean, brothers, that's what the Bible Exactly. What what? What's what he tells us. It's amazing. For I indeed, as absent in the body and present in the spirit, have I already judged as though I we were present with him um, who had so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, he says there's going to be a public gathering when everybody's together. He says, then what you do, Along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord, under the authority of the Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Wow. So, public sin must be dealt with publicly. Does that make sense? And when that's done, that will discourage others from that. I know this ain't easy. I know this ain't popular. But I hope you're hearing my heart. And I hope you're seeing what God's word says. Because it is necessary. There has to be a right attitude towards sin. There needs to be some mourning, and never be puffed up. Never justify sin or explain it away or sweep it under the rug. But deal with it. Deal with it if we want God's blessing. Because if you don't deal with it, I, bl- I promise you it's going to cause more problems later. How many of you have ever got a little splinter in your finger? Anybody? Oh, man. You get that, you get that little bitty sliver of wood, little bitty splinter in your finger. And guess what will happen? After a day or two, that thing will fester, right? And it will start to swell up and it'll turn red and get infected. And after a while, if you don't deal with it, it's going to get even more infected and that will grow from where the splinter is, where the festering is, and it will start spreading throughout your whole finger and if it's not dealt with, your whole hand. Brother Shane Cook was um, just the other day, a few years ago, he got a splinter in his, in his thumb and he was showing me the picture that came up on his Facebook memories of, of what that did. He got a, a piece of metal, I think, wasn't it, brother, from a recap on the side of the road that he had picked up and threw all the road, stuck in his hand um, and, and, and it got so deep he couldn't get it out. You know. And when he couldn't get it out, it got infected. And listen, his thumb swelled up um, twice its normal size. And if he would have kept letting that go, he could have lost his whole hand over that little splinter in his thumb. And if he would have kept letting that go, he could have lost his life. He could have absolutely taken, it, taken him out because of the infection in his body. So what I'm trying to say is, don't allow that splinter to stay but deal with it and that's what paul is talking about deal with it the right way because it's going to cause trouble now and later and listen to me he makes it clear not only for this man but for others we'll see that in just a moment So it has to be judged rightly according to the word of God and it needs to be dealt with. Public sin should be dealt with publicly and and then he says how to deal with it. He says that we should deliver such a one to Satan. Now before we go any further with this, I want to tell you what this doesn't mean before I tell you what I believe it means. It doesn't mean that the church can somehow deprive someone who's living in sin of their salvation. Don't mean that. Let me tell you why I say that. The church did not give them their salvation. If the church didn't give them their salvation, then they can't take it from them. And that's not what Paul is saying. So salvation comes as a free gift given to us, paid for us or paid for by the precious blood of Jesus and given to us as a gift from him as we trust in him by faith as Savior. So, the, the, the church, he's not saying that we are to deprive someone of their salvation. That's impossible. That can't happen. So what is he saying? I believe he's saying this. When the believer, when the child of God is in right fellowship with God and right fellowship with the church, there's a special protection on his or her life you hear me I believe that the Bible teaches that how many times have we said not not that you're not going to go through hard times because we all do but there there is a special protection on the life of a believer who's in right fellowship with God and right fellowship with the church and so what Paul is saying is if this man's not going to repent you've got to deal with this And so you need to put him out of the fellowship of the church. For what? The destruction of the flesh. Amen? Put him outside the umbrella of that protection. I know that's harsh. I know that's unpopular. But I'll show you just exactly why it's necessary in just a moment. Let me read to you something though. First of all on what Uh, David Jeremiah says concerning this. I love it. He says, "To Deliver a person to Satan means to remove him or her from the umbrella of protection provided by the church and to abandon that individual to the devil so that the enemy may do with the sinner as he desires. There are two domains in this world. I like how he says this. There are two domains in this world. The domain of God and the domain of Satan. The visible um, domain of God in the world today is the church of Jesus Christ. The visible domain of Satan is everything outside the church. To deliver such a one to Satan is to take that person out of the domain of God and release him or her into the domain of Satan. This should always be a last resort done in the spirit of Galatians 6 1. Um, so let's read Galatians 6 1. That's important. Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. one Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a, in a fault or a trespass, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. If you were here for a study of Galatians, we spent about two or three weeks on just those first two or three verses in Galatians chapter 6. How important it is that we deal with things um, in this of this manner in the right way. All right. And, and so Dr. Jeremiah says, do everything you can. To deal with it in the spirit of Galatians six one, and he's right. Again, we're not pious policemen, but concerned brothers and sisters. Amen. So that's how we. That's what we. What we work towards. But if that person won't listen, then you have to go further. You Have to go further. All right. So deliver such one to the to the. To the um, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You got to judge rightly, you gotta have the right attitude, but you've also got to have the right action towards sin. And he and he describes that in verses six through thirteen. He says, Your glory is not good. Do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now let me tell you what he's talking about here. Do you do you remember when um, Jesus, or excuse me, when Moses led the nation of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt? Do you remember how they came out of their bondage in Egypt? It was by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Now, when they took of that first um, when they partook of that first Passover when the Passover lamb was killed and the blood was applied to the doorpost the left and the top and the right side of the doorpost and and God delivered his people do you, do you remember what they did um, as a feast they had the feast of what's called unleavened bread do you remember that now let me tell you what leaven is leaven is yeast and when you put yeast in bread in a lump of dough, What does it cause that dough to do? It causes it to rise. causes it to expand. And so that little bitty pitch of yeast, when put into a lump, don't just affect part of the the lump, but all of it. Sin is a representation, or excuse me, leaven is a representation of sin in the life of a church. And what Paul is saying is, is you've got to get the leaven out because it's not just going to affect one or two members, but every member. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. So what do you do? You've got to remove the leaven. you got to remove the leaven. Now, all of that that happened in Exodus chapter 12 was fulfilled And the finished work of Jesus. How many of you understand. That he is. The Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God. Slain before the foundation of the world. He is the lamb of God. That takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the one who shed his blood for us. And we too. In a sense. Ought to be experiencing the feast. Of unleavened bread. We're to do everything we can by, the, by, by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and, and taking the Word of God and applying it to our lives to live lives that are holy and pleasing unto the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful tonight for God's amazing matchless grace. Folks, do you ever just get sick of yourself? I do so many times. I get sick of things that I think sometimes. I get sick of things that I do sometimes. And I I wonder, why am I doing this? Because it's not making me happy. As a matter of fact, it's stealing my joy. But I still do. Anybody else? Sure. I'm just saying, we all need the mercy and grace of God daily. Never forget that. And the grace that has been extended to you, we must extend it to others. Please hear my heart. Please see what God's Word is saying. We're not fault finders. That's not what God wants. However, sin must be dealt with in the right way. Because a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. Amen? Now, let's go. So he says, verse number 6, Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. There it is. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, or the old lifestyle, the old man, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. I like that. He said, we don't do what we do out of malice or wickedness. It's good. He says, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or the covetous, or the extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral. So again, he's making it clear to us, if you didn't have some type of connection with somebody who was immoral in the world, then you couldn't live in this world. Isn't that right? We're going to have, we're not, we're in this world, but we're not of this world, is what he's saying. We are connected, but we shouldn't be corrupted. We're connected for the purpose of being salt and light. Amen? I can't, I'm gonna preach to you that Sunday morning. We're gonna talk about that, what that means, what our purpose really is. And so he says, I'm not talking about the world. How many know it's not up to us to judge the actions of the world? Because it does no good anyway. Let me tell you why. A sinner just going to do what a sinner does. That's all he can do. But when it comes to someone who names the name of Jesus, they now have the power by the person of the Holy Spirit to live in a way that's pleasing unto the Lord. And so what he's saying is, We've got to deal with what's going on inside the body of Christ. Because we are all members. Together in one body. And what happens in one member's life affects others. I remember one time, years ago, I went and got a tooth pulled. And they pulled the wrong tooth. Yeah. Let me tell you why. I had a tooth that was bad on this side of my mouth, and my whole side of the mouth hurt. All of it. Now it was just one tooth that was bad, but it was making all of them hurt. Why? Because they're members connected in one body. Right? And so I went and told them, I said, man, I've got to have this tooth out. Got it pulled. I was fine until the pain medicine wore off, and I realized it was still hurt. So i will to go back and get it fixed. One member affects all others. And so he says, we've got to take the right action and get the bad tooth out. If he's not going to allow the Lord to fix him. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, why is this necessary? Why is this needful? We've talked about several reasons. Let me give you a really good one. It worked. It worked. It worked here in this situation. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, verses 1 through 11, Paul says to them in the second letter, go and read it. I want you to go and read it this week. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 11. He says, you remember the one that I told you to put out of the church for the destruction of the flesh? He's repented. Let him back in. Let Him back in and love Him and encourage Him and help Him to grow so that God can use Him in His church and His body. It worked because it was dealt with the right way. Amen? Any comments or questions? Probequests.